hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. Welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievan, and it's great to be with you here on this wonderful afternoon. Now, this week I've been tuning in to Chai FM Soul to Soul the last couple of days, and I've been hearing some wonderful insights and stories about the life and legacy of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, whose yard site was just this past Tuesday, 23 years we commemorated the anniversary since the Rebbe's passing. And, you know, I lived with the Rebbe as a child, attending the Rebbe's shul. The Rebbe was passed on just before my bar mitzvah. And I just think about the Rebbe. You know, more years have passed in my life without the Rebbe's presence. But in a very, in a tremendous way, I would say that the Rebbe continues to live on through his visionary teachings and through the work of his shluchim, his emissaries, whom he charged with bringing the light, the warmth, the beauty of Yiddishkeit to every corner of the globe. And yes, it's been 23 years, and it's hard to believe that 23 years have passed since the Rebbe's passing, but yet at the same time, one truly realizes that the life of a tzaddik is one that is not limited, that is not confined by their body or by their lifetime in this world but rather continues to eternity even after the passing. And that's why Moses and Rambam and all the great scholars and Jewish thinkers in between. And the truth of the matter is, and coming from the cemetery now myself, it's something I'm constantly reminded of. Every human being is capable and able to actually perpetuate their life, their legacy, by not limiting it, by not limiting themselves to just material possessions and things that we accumulate. Because if you think about the idea that a human being, the def- you know, the things we, po- we, we accumulate are various possessions in our life. Yeah, for a human being, for somebody who's really physically, you know, controlled by their materialism, then, yeah, then, then death represents the end. It's a time when all their fleeting achievements come to a screeching halt. Everyone cries and mourns and that's the end. But Judaism teaches us that life is not just about the physical things we accumulate because those things come and go. God forbid a fire. God forbid an incident. They, they get lost or they lose their, you know, iPhone 8 comes out and iPhone 7 is outdated. But if we think of a life that consists of spiritual gains, of the good deeds we accomplish and fulfill in this world, then indeed life never ends. You think about a soul, it's fueled by an inexhaustible energy of the good deeds that a person performs here in this world. And it lives on materially through whether it's their children or others whom they've influenced and they perpetuate that person's spiritual vitality for continuity forever and in that sense when we think about the Rebbe's passing although it's indeed he's no longer with us physically we certainly can tap into his teachings and the example which he led his life and we're very lucky unlike previous Rebbe's there's so many video 
videos and and pictures and publication of his teachings that we could all learn from. And today I thought it would be appropriate to just tap into one of those, into some of his teachings and maybe some anecdotes and memories just as have been the last few days shared here and those who attended the various functions and events this past week. And just to reflect on those and see how we could apply them in our own lives today. One of the questions that people oftentimes ask is how can I fulfill my potential in this world? If you want to become aware of our abilities and to try to cultivate them, then we have to really truly know ourselves. Like the Greeks say, know thyself. Great famous Greek aphorism. So who are you? Is that a question you could ask yourself? And I want you to think about that. Who are you indeed? Now, oftentimes we think that question, who am I? Well, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm an accountant, I'm a rabbi, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a mother, I'm a father. But let's go, don't refer to your job, to your employment, to your hobbies, even your family position or to the things you have, your possessions or area of study. Think deeper into who are you? Describe yourself to yourself. This is an honest question you ask yourself. You ever take a moment to reflect and think of who are you indeed? Now, the truth is we're very aware of the foods that we prefer and our favorite sports teams that we follow and whatever areas of study that actually interest us, what we do for a living, which pieces of art are hanging on our walls. And that really could tell you much about yourself, what type of, you know, music you like. But few of us believe that these Facts really define who we really truly are. But throughout our lives, we're mostly consumed by what we do, by the things we possess. And like I said, sometimes it does tell you a little bit about yourself. Tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are. But how often do we take the time to think deeply about ourselves? Who are we indeed? What is it about us? What is it that makes me, the unique me who I am. We all know the fact that God created you means you're indispensable to God's plan for this entire purpose of the entire world's existence. So if we could take a moment to think more profoundly about ourselves, specifically, just go through recognizing who we are. And I would say, perhaps if we take a moment to think of two specific areas, Number one, what type of things, interactions, phenomena make you feel important? Think about what makes you feel unimportant. And maybe if you take a second to think about what would you like to achieve, but think it's too difficult to accomplish. Think that has a very important relevance to who you are in your life. Since we're talking about the Rebbe, and I'm trying to tap into some of the Rebbe's teachings, I think anyone who's met the Rebbe, anyone who corresponded with him, or was present at his talks, at his addresses, at his sichas, always knew that he wasn't a person who was very much satisfied. Now, I'm not talking about physical possessions, because he wasn't a man who accumulated too much furnishings or physical possessions. But I'm talking... Beyond that, the Rebbe would constantly ask, he would plead, he would encourage people to do more, to engage in additional activities, to add an extra mitzvah, never to be complacent about whatever previous accomplishments you've already fulfilled in your life. And 
we were watching a video the other night, a couple of friends around, watching a video where the Rebbe is talking to different individuals and actually speaking to some in English and some in Hebrew or some in Yiddish, different, the language that they spoke. But whether it was the UJA Federation and the United States of America who were very proud and were informing the Rebbe about the quarter of a million dollars, $250,000, you know, that's well, that's close to 3 million rand that they gave, that they contributed to the Chabad school system. And the Rebbe turns to them with his beautiful smile and says, and you expect me to be satisfied with a quarter of a million dollars? And you see different other people passing by and each one, the Rebbe says to them how he wants them to do more and more. And you think about that in your own life. If, talk to the guys, you know, if your wife prepared you a six-course meal, how do you think she would react if you said to her, you know, honey, that was good, but next time, please fix me a 12-course meal. Think about that. Many people walk out of their psychologist's office, sitting on the couch and talking about, my parents messed me up, I was never good enough for them. Would you appreciate your boss trying to stretch the limits of your job performance? You know, this is my job, this is what I do. Yet, it's so interesting to see that although, in a sense, I I fully agree that people do not feel appreciated when they're constantly being badgered and, and bombarded and pressured to do more and more. You know, Ganukshan, I've done for you. But when we watched that video of the Rebbe, and we saw the way he was pushing people to do more. Instead of a response of irritation, you see the reaction on people's faces. And it's more one of appreciation, of admiration. And really, I wonder, how come? Why is that? Rabbi Groner, who was one of the Rebbe's secretaries, talks about how oftentimes... After Shabbos, people would call into Chabad Lubavitch headquarters at 770 in New York, and they would ask, tell me, what did the Rebbe talk about today? What additional thing did the Rebbe ask of us to do? And he says, I once asked one of the rabbis, why do you assume that the Rebbe asked for something more? And he says, that particular shliach, that emissary ambassador of the Rebbe said back, he said, tell me, when there was one farbringen, one gathering, one meeting, one audience, one event, when the Rebbe did not ask for more, the Rebbe always wanted more. And he would constantly quote the Mishnah that says, one who has a hundred wants two hundred, one with two hundred wants four hundred. We gotta constantly increase, we gotta constantly, you know, you're running a kilometer, push the envelope, run 1.1 kilometers. You're running 10 kilometers, push the envelope, try to get yourself to run 11 kilometers. You go to the gym once a week, go twice a week. And when it comes to spiritual development and growth in our own lives, likewise, we got to see a way that we're able to push ourselves to grow, to push the limits. And more so, one of the other videos we were watching was how the Rebbe addressed a diverse crowd in the shul one year on Shavuos. There were many rabbis in the crowd because you understand that rabbis don't get that often to take off. And Shavuos was an appropriate time that many rabbis would come to the Rebbe because Pesach, they had to be with their communities and Rosh Hashanah, high holidays and Sukkot to be there with her. Shavuos was the ideal holiday. If a rabbi wanted to come to visit the Rebbe, then it was a good time to come. And at the same gathering where the rabbis were present were also prisoners, inmates from jail. 
who had a weekend off. They had a festival. They were able to come visit the Rebbe. And at this gathering, one noticed how, on the one hand, he kept on pushing the rabbis in studying more and not neglecting their studies to say, just because you got your smicha, you were ordained a number of years ago, doesn't give you the right to abandon your Torah study today. You still, you know, as a, as a paramedic, I could say, we have constant, continued medical studies. You know, you got to continue your education. And we require CPD points, which indicate if we've continued our medical education. Because otherwise... Would you trust a doctor who hasn't updated himself, hasn't refreshed himself in his knowledge of the medical field? And likewise, lawyers and accountants, many professions require a continued education for their profession in order for one to be up to date. What are the latest SARS rules? A lawyer has to know the legalities that are constantly changing. You have to know the rules and regulations and to continue to be updated on them. And the Rebbe encouraged Rabbanim, rabbis and rabbitsons, to continue up dating themselves and educating themselves not to rely and I could tell you from first hand I studied for smicha nearly 15 years ago I was ordained as a rabbi and to think today oh my what have I studied way back then you forget much of it it's just natural that we get rusty we forget and you have to constantly refresh yourself so yes rabbinics isn't just about the code of Jewish law it's not just about the laws the dry laws themselves there's much more to it and in fact, one of the stories that we heard the other night from Rabbi Eliezer, he's visiting from America, written an amazing book called The Secret of Chabad. It's amazing that all the books he brought, they just sold like hotcakes in, in minutes. The books were sold out in one evening. I'm sure they'll be available sometime in the near future at Chabad Bookstore. But one of the stories he told was of a particular shliach, an ambassador of the Rebbe, was being sent to an important rabbinic position somewhere in the world. I don't remember which city, but the rabbi... The Rebbe asked this individual, he says, do you have a Shulchan Aruch? You know, that's what a, sort of like a, a klutzkach. It's, it's a simpleton's question. Does a rabbi have a Shulchan Aruch? Any rabbi would have code of Jewish law. It's the basics of any book that you would have on your shelf. And then the Rebbe asked him about some other classic Jewish books. Do you have this one, that one, the other one? He says, yes, of course. So the Rebbe said, good, I want you to study it and to know it well and then to be flexible. To be a rabbi is not just about knowing the law but to know how to apply the law. When we were studying for our smicha, Rabbi Weinberg, God bless him, was heading then the Machon our the Rabbinic Institute for Rabbinic Ordination in Pretoria. And he told us that not only are the four, are there the four sections, the four books of the Code of Jewish Law, but there's a fifth section that he said is important for us to know about, and it's not in a book. It's called Common Sense. Yes, you might have two scenarios, two incidents of people who come to the rabbi with the same exact question. But to know how to apply the answer to each person individually based on their particular circumstances. And this was the rabbi's question that this individual, the rabbi asked the rabbi to apply flexibility, to understand we're, without bending the law, without compromising a Jewish law, we don't water down Jewish law. We know the famous Mishnah that tells us about Aaron, who was a lover of peace, of pursuer of peace. And it says... He loved all of God's creatures and brought them close to the Torah, which means he brought others close to the Torah, he brought people close to the Torah. But it wasn't about compromising or in any way watering down, diluting the Torah. The Torah is not bendable. It's not compromisable. We don't change the Torah. But we have to understand how to apply it to each circumstance and situation, which that indeed takes somewhat of a skill more so than reading the law out of the book. It's to know how to apply the law.
And this was the Rebbe. He wanted each person. There was another video we watched of a scholar from Israel, Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz, Evan Israel. He's written numerous books and he's a activist on many fronts, involved in many activities. And this man, he felt like he had too much on his plate, too many things he was involved with, and he needed to try to reduce some of them. And when he came to the Rebbe, he presented his predicament. He said, which of all the different tasks I'm involved with should I reduce, should I eliminate from my daily schedule? You know, sometimes I face the same question in my life and I think, yeah, there might be a good idea to remove certain responsibilities, just certain areas, certain things are too much and you got to know what to eschew, what to eliminate from the daily schedule. And the Rebbe looked at him and said, you're a very capable man. If you work out your schedule, you'll fit it all in well and you'll be able to add even more. And his reaction, he says, if it came from anyone but the Rebbe who took so many responsibilities on his own shoulders, he would have been aghast. He would have been completely annoyed. But in this particular situation where the Rebbe was the one who responded to him saying and encouraging him to take on even more, the Rebbe said, I know you're capable to handle this and I know you could even do more. As one of the rabbis who worked with the Rebbe said, how did we know if the Rebbe was satisfied with a job, a task that he gave us was when he gave us another job. If he gave you another task to do, and you knew he was satisfied with the previous one because he was not satisfied in the sense of satisfaction. He always wanted more. He wanted a person, an individual to do more, to constantly push ourselves. And that's a common question. Are demanding people usually loving and sensitive? I would love to hear your insight into that. In fact, we'll be back in a moment after we take a commercial break. I'd love to hear your perspective. Are demanding people usually loving? Are they sensitive? Are they caring? And I'd love to hear your reasoning, if you could explain what you feel about demanding people. Because as I've been sharing with you today, the Rebbe was in a very tremendous sense demanding, demanding of his followers, of his shluchim, of people who came to visit him. Now, he knew he had that sensitivity and care and love when not to be demanding, but usually, if you worked for him, he always wanted more and pushed you and pushed you and pushed you. What's your perspective? What's your feeling on demanding people? And feel free to SMS to 34519, or I think that costs a buck fifty. So if you prefer the freeway, just to do it by WhatsApp. It won't cost you a cent, maybe your data from your carrier, but these days, WhatsApps are unlimited for most people. Then you could send your WhatsApp to 62 one four eight two three seven four. In fact, why don't you take the second to store this number on your phone as the Chai FM WhatsApp, and you will freely always have it available. You don't have to remember what was that number you just said. It's zero six two one four eight two three seven four. Again, zero six two one four eight two three seven four. The Chai FM WhatsApp line, and we'll be right back. This is Soul to Soul on one hundred one point nine Chai FM. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Ari Kiefman. It's good to see people weighing in with your reasoning behind if pushy, demanding people are loving and sensitive. And the truth is, looking at the messages that I've seen, most people don't like pushy, demanding people. But then I go back to my question before. Why is it that I get the sense in speaking to people who the Rebbe did push and their response was not one of irritation or, you know, uh, just leave me alone, but rather many of the people responded with an appreciation for the Rebbe's pushing them. And I think if I were able to describe a little bit of the Rebbe's love and respect was unconditional and extended to anyone who showed, he just showed 
his love for everyone in that sense. People, whether they had little enthusiasm for Jewish practice or they were professed atheists, and it wasn't just the Jewish people. The Rebbe was, he cared for humanity. There were many Gentiles who came by. We watched a video a while ago about uh, Shirley Chisholm, who was a U.S. congresswoman. And the Rebbe encouraged her when she got a position in agriculture. We have a family friend. This family friend was a close confidant of hers, of Charlie, of, of Shirley Chisholm. And he told us that she was really insulted when the position she received as a black woman was in agriculture. I mean, she was representing her population of New York. Why was she given the portfolio of agriculture? New York isn't your, you know, isn't your exactly agricultural city. But then she got a message from the Rebbe encouraging her that in her position of agriculture is by divine providence because there are many people in the country, in the United States, who are poverty stricken, lots of people living below the poverty line, and there was a surplus of food. And therefore, by having the position, the portfolio of agriculture, she was able to take the surplus of food in America and help those who were poverty stricken, those who were dependent on welfare, by creating what was later became the food stamp program in America, in which all the surplus of food was used for people who needed welfare and God forbid, you know, there are obviously times when people abuse that, that, uh, privilege. Unfortunately, that's in the news at present in the United States. But the idea was he cared for everyone. Just this week, I think it was on Tuesday, they had a very special event marking the 23rd yard side of the Rebbe. And there was an American congressman who said, this is my rabbi. And he came specially to this event because of his admiration for the Rebbe. And this was across the board. And I think this is unique because very often, tolerance of those with an opposing point of view, whether it's politically, religiously, or otherwise, makes, you know, results from a weakening of one's position. And oftentimes when you have a different perspective, we're not necessarily best of buddies with people who don't agree with us. A libertarian will accept and befriend a devout socialist if they realize that there are multiple ways of managing a productive society. Maybe there's some kind of common ground, some mutual kind of respect they can find for each other. But when they see that another's perspective is also legitimate and in fact has its advantages, then you become tolerant of another person's view. And that's a very nice compromise or tolerance that people have in this world. But when a person sees only one correct path and views the others as misguided, they usually become less accepting of those with the opposite point of view. And one would think that an ultra-Orthodox Hasidic rabbi in New York would have completely the opposite views of reform, conservative, reconstructionist, Jewish renewal, and the various other movements that exist in America where it's such diversity. And yet... Instead of seeing one uh, as completely different from them, or befriending only those who have similar viewpoints, you know, they say politics at times makes strange fellows, but such alliances usually aren't genuine 
and don't necessarily endure. You think about just case in point about Stalin's alliance with the Nazis and later with the United States. These weren't these were not political alliances that actually endured. They didn't continue. They served their purpose and then they were gone. So in a sense, you know, to be blunt, the Rebbe denied the legitimacy of anything less than strict adherence of Jewish law and the strict practice of halacha. But at the same time, even though in the Rebbe's own outreach he said we have to adhere to Jewish law to the fullest extent, Jewish leaders in many parts of the world realized that assimilation was on the uptick and something needed to be done. And some movements started watering down Judaism, compromising here and there on Jewish law and halacha, even undermining some basic traditional tenets of Judaism. And many, maybe rightfully so, justifiably so, were convinced that this would be the only way to make Judaism relevant to modern times. The Rebbe, on the other hand, would often quote a passage from the Mishnah that we said before, Makarval Natura, that you gotta bring people close to the Torah, but not to alter the Torah to bring it close to the people, like compromising Jewish law. To the Rebbe, there was no legitimate lifestyle for a Jew that was outside the realm of halacha. But at the same time, anyone who met with the Rebbe from all walks of life, from the most religious to the least religious, from Jew to Gentile, they felt that love and respect was unconditional. You hear of individuals, whether they were politicians, military experts from Israeli, highest of echelons of Israeli society, or the U.S. in a close relationship with President Ronald Reagan. The only president who actually showed up to a public menorah lighting was President Carter. But these presidents, and a couple of years back, I think it was a year or two after the Rebbe's passing, they had an event in Washington, D.C., where they gave the highest congressional medal, an award that is only given to the highest people in society and posthumously they honored the Rebbe after his passing even with this medal of honor and at that event various politicians spoke about you know Democrats Republicans there's little they agree on or lots they disagree on and yet one thing they all came together and there was bipartisan support for was to honor the Rebbe because all felt that this is a man who even if he didn't agree with you on certain matters unconditionally embraced and loved every person. And people felt that it was real, it was sincere, it was genuine. And could you imagine a prominent animal rights activist embracing an unrepentant Michael Vick? And can you envision a passionate environmentalist embracing the CEO of a company that dumps toxic waste into, into the waters, into the rivers? And yet, here was a man who felt that even if we didn't agree on everything in person, even those who disagreed, there was still a love, an acceptance. Even those who haven't met the Rebbe witnessed the degree of that unconditional love and care through his emissaries, through his ambassadors, the shluchim and shluchos, the rabbis and rebbitsons that he sent around the world in today's numbers, past 10,000 emissary couples. 
the Rebbe not only had a particular philosophy, but he shared it with anyone who's willing to listen. And the Shluchim today are taking that message of unconditional love to the all corners of the globe, to every far-flung place on earth, and saying, regardless of your religious affiliation, there is an unconditional love to see the warmth, beauty, and the light of Yiddishkeit and to experience it in one's life. And so there's a lot one could talk about. I would love to quote Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who once said, how could you redeem a world that witnessed a Hitler? The Rebbe ascended to the leadership of the Chabad movement in such a dark time of Judaism when a third of our people were wiped off the map. Many of the Chabadniks were still stuck behind the Iron Curtain in Russia. Others were annihilated. Many of them died in the, in the gulags. And what the Rebbe did was something absolutely extraordinary. He said to himself, if the Nazis searched out every Jew in hate, we're going to search every single Jew. We're going to find them and share with them the love, the warmth, the beauty as we've been discussing today. That was a most radical response to the Holocaust. And this is exactly the point of what Chabad is trying to do in every part of the globe is to bring that warmth, beauty, and love of Yiddishkeit to every Jew, wherever they are. And even to Gentiles to learn the universal codes of the Torah, the message that Judaism has for every human being. Two hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. And welcome back. I'm Rabbi Ari Kiebman. And today we were talking about the Rebbe and some of the insights on his personality on helping us realize our own potential and things we could learn from him. And just listening a moment ago to the commercial where we heard uh, the great speaker um, from the, Dennis Prager, who's got the evening show here on Chai FM. And Dennis Prager is the one who gave the name of this book for Rabbi Eliezer called The Secret of Chabad, Getting Into the World's Most Successful Movement. And we think about the success, yet at the same time, you know, we were talking a moment ago about the Rebbe's acceptance and unconditional love for people. And oftentimes you think about tolerance results from compromise. You know, I might not agree with you, but I'll compromise, I'll, I'll tolerate you, I'll accept you. The Rebbe was a person of immense Gira Shemaim, uh, a God-fearing Jew. And there were no compromises in regards to Jewish law and to Allah. But at the same time, the Rebbe had that unconditional love for his fellow Jew and for every human being. So it was not because the Rebbe tolerated sin. He didn't tolerate, he didn't accept that people committed sins or violated, transgressed the laws of Torah. The Rebbe internalized this idea of Aves Yisrael, of loving a fellow Jew. The whole idea was that the Torah is eternal. And the Torah, the Torah, we have to bring the people closer to it. Yes, some people might not be holding at the same place, might not be as observant or, or following the Torah laws to the T. In fact, there was one particular rabbi who the Rebbe talked about, there was one rabbi here this week, Rabbi Lou, who gave, related a wonderful story. He says, 
the Rebbe came out with a campaign in the 1970s about Miu Yehudi, about realizing the identity of a Jew, one born to a Jewish mother, and not to compromise the halachic elements of that. And there was another rabbi in the UK who was vehemently opposed to it. He said, we have to accept Jews who are born, you know, one who was born to a Jewish father also is Jewish. When Rabbi Lou was meeting with the Rebbe, so the Rebbe asked him, do you know this rabbi? And he said, yes, I know him. And in his mind, he's thinking the Rebbe is going to tell him, why don't you go and tell him to stop his disagreements with me and voicing his opinion in opposition of him? The Rebbe said, I want you to go visit him and I want you to send him my warm personal regards. And in his mind, he's thinking, yep, and that will be my opportunity to tell him off. And then the Rebbe continues and says, but I want you not to reprimand him, not to criticize him. Don't do that. So you think, okay, if I won't do it, maybe I could send someone else in the next message. Don't tell anyone else to do that either. There are 613 mitzvahs, commandments of the Torah. If we agree on one, there's at least another 612 that we do have in common, that we do agree upon. That was the Rebbe's approach. And in that sense, he said, we don't compromise on the Torah. We may overlook someone else's faults. It doesn't mean we're condoning or supporting their wrong actions. And we had a discussion the other evening about inviting a Jew to your Shabbos table if they're not religious and they might be come to, to breaking Shabbos, driving to your home. But to think about the moment if they're not invited to your home. Yes, because of you, they're unfortunately being mechalal, desecrating the laws of Shabbos. Yet at the same time, if instead they went to drive to the movies or to the shops or to the malls or to a non-kosher restaurant, and, you know, that is even worse yet. So here at least they're sitting at your Shabbos table. And Rabbi Moshe Feinstein does encourage you to invite people to your Shabbos table who may be less religious than yourself and to offer them to even sleep over. So they'll sleep on the couch. So they'll, you know, offer them some kind of hospitality. But for those moments that they're sitting at your Shabbos table, they're not violating Shabbos. In fact, they're keeping kosher. They're observing Shabbos. They're enjoying the Shabbos meal. They're singing songs. They're hearing inspirational words of Torah thoughts. I'd like to conclude with two more little anecdotes of stories today's show. One is about a follower of the Satmar movement, a Hasidic, very religious Jew who was coming by the Rebbe. And the Rebbe asked him, share with me an interesting teaching, something you learn in the Gemara. He said, you know how to question. I was studying in the Talmud. It says that all Jews are filled with mitzvahs like a pomegranate is filled with seeds. It says, like, that, that's a Talmudic statement. And so my question is, the Talmud says, Afilu Poshe Yisrael, even the sinners are Malay mitzvot, are filled with mitzvahs like the pomegranate. And he said, I just don't understand. How could a sinner be filled with mitzvahs with good deeds? And the Rebbe said, I want to show you how I would learn this Mishnah. And you could learn it different in the future when you study the Talmud. He said, I have the same, same question on the Talmud, but from a different angle. My question is, how does somebody who's filled with mitzvahs, like a pomegranate filled with seeds, so many mitzvahs, so many good deeds, so many merits, how are they a sinner? How could they commit a sin? And one other little anecdote that just shows you the Rebbe's way of seeing things was there was a very famous judge, a Supreme Court justice in Israel by the name of Chaim Cohen. And although he was originally from, he later strayed from the Torah path. He even married a divorcee, which is forbidden for a Cohen to do. And for many people, he epitomized the personality of what they call an apikaris, a person who knows Jewish law but doesn't practice it. It's that's sort of a form of cognitive dissonance where you know what's right but do what's wrong. And he came one year to the Rebbe on Simchas Torah and 
those who were present were amazed to see how the Rebbe was Makarov and embraced him and brought him in, even made sure he was given a hakafa at the Simchas Torah dancing to dance with the Torah. And he was given an aliyah in the shul. And indeed, you would think, you know, some shuls say we can't give any honors to people who publicly disgrace Judaism or violate Jewish law. And yet, you see here that uh, the Rebbe drew him closer because this was the way that you were able to bring a person closer to the path of Judaism. My dear friends, if we could just take one way of one lesson from the Rebbe as how to bring people closer and show them the warmth, the beauty, the love of Yiddishkeit by embracing them, by sharing that unconditional love without compromising your values, your ethics, your standards, you're still able to do so just as the Rebbe did. I'd like to conclude with a little commercial break here to know from that there is, this is from Pick and Pay's manager special, Shevington assorted kosher cheese, 200 grams was 65 rand, now it's 44.99. Kosher lean mints was 102.99 per kilogram and now it's only 85.99 per kilo. Kosher beef burgers was 102.99 per kilo and now 85.99 per kilogram. Kosher beef salsa ties was 172.99 per kilo, now only 139.99. Kosher drivers was 299.99 and now only 249. Helio's original tub 500 grams was 17.99, now only 10.99. These prices are valid from Thursday, today, the 29th of June, till Sunday, the 2nd of July. My friends, thanks for joining me here today on Soul to Soul. It was a great privilege, honor to speak with you and to share with you some of the wonderful insights and transformational teachings and example that I gleaned from the Rebbe, from his way of life, that I think each of us could try to apply in our lives and make a world of difference to our universe. My friends, Carpe diem, seize every moment you got to make this world a more meaningful place. Shabbat shalom. And looking forward to be with you back here, same time, same place next week. Stay tuned for Fresh Thinking Up next after the news.